Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see your faces. Some of you are not smiling as much, but it's cold. I understand. I have my jacket on. For those of you who came because you saw the name Reese Howells, I just want you to know that I am not the Reese Howell. Um, If he were here standing before you, he would be 142 years old today. So I'm obviously not that Reese Howells, but... Um, you're not recording me, are you? We were live streaming. Are we not supposed to be? Um, I, I had asked Casey not to. Okay. Um, yeah. Get that, so we'll just turn that off. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I, uh, um, the Lord told me a number of years ago not to be on the Internet or social media. So one of the things that, that I'm glad I don't have to do is look at Facebook posts and things like that. But um, the, the Lord just asked me to to basically be under the radar. So I'm, I'm just doing that. Uh, I, I, just, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself, and then we'll, we'll get into the topic. I am an evangelical pastor. That is, I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I preach from that Word. And, uh, you know, I believe all the basic foundational doctrines of the Christian church. I've been faithful to lead my congregations in that. The, um, about 19 years ago, the Lord called me into missions, and right now I am helping to train missionaries who are going overseas, and one of the things that I, I try to help people with is, is um, spiritual warfare. Now, what I'm going to share with you this morning isn't because I learned this stuff when I was in cemetery, seminary, sorry. Um, <laughs> I did not understand and really didn't have a very developed theology of spiritual warfare. But when I became a pastor, um, especially as a senior pastor, I discovered that there is a spiritual world, that the enemy is part of that spiritual world, and he hates me and everyone else. And um, it, it took me years to figure out what was going on. I'm a slow learner. And, but when I did figure it out, I realized that, wow, this stuff is actually real. Uh, before I would make fun of people that, that would say, oh, there's demons here, and yeah, there's a demon under your sofa couch, you know, like go cast it out. And I, I wouldn't pay any attention to things like that. I, and I think some of that is really more fear-born, but, but I, I did, ran right up against the reality of an unseen world. And so some of the things I'm going to share with you today are really based on an understanding of, of my experience and what I've learned from the scriptures and things that work. Uh, for me, the acid test is not whether or not you've got a good coherent doctrine and it makes sense. Uh, it should, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And, and what I always look for is, like Jesus said about prophets, you know, you look for the fruit. I, I want to see that it actually works. And if it works, then I'm more apt to believe than not believe. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, you guys can't see this over here. I'm, I'm, 
Is this any better? <laughs> can, can, can you see any better over there? Oh, I have I have the recording here. Yeah. Um, no. Can one of you um, come up and just help position this screen for me? Uh, I don't want to take time doing this, but yeah, if you can just pull it out a little bit more, maybe towards the sides. I let us know if you can see any better. It's hard to see from the edges, and. Um, yeah, the, the last time I did a workshop, there was there were two two monitors. Can you can you see any better? Can you guys see it? I'm trying to go I think it actually is harder for them to see now. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm sorry. I yeah, the last time we we had two monitors, which made it a little easier to cover the room. But here in Ephesians six, this is where we get it from. Ephesians six twelve talks about. This, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, this is very specific. The word in the Greek really means wrestler, although sometimes it's translated, you know, in general as fighting or fighter. It it really is about from Homer on down, two men that would square off against each other in a ring and the purpose was, in the Greek, <laughs> to grieve and possess your opponent. So you won when your opponent was down on the ground and you were above him and you had your hand on his neck and he, he had to submit. This is what spiritual warfare is look, looks like. Paul tells us that it is about wrestling against the powers of darkness. Is not about flesh and blood. And so, when we see this, um, we're forced to deal aggressively with the powers of darkness. The enemy is not going to roll over and just give us space because God said, yeah, I want you to do this. In fact, my experience is when you go into new territory, he will contest you every inch of the way. And if you don't know how to deal with him, you will find yourself in that prone position looking up. Wrestling is one of the most intimate forms of combat there is. You've got that other person's sweaty body all over you. And that's what it will feel like sometimes when you are dealing with darkness. They don't want to give up. And part of it is that if they do give up, they are not going to, to re- have a good reception from their boss And trust me, they don't want to go through that. So they often will hold on as much as they can. And for a lot of them, it's existential. If if they fail, they not only get punished, but if they're bound and banished, it's not a good thing for them. So wrestling is about against. And that Greek word is pros, P-R-O-S. It is a strengthened form of the word pro, which means against. And so we are to wrestle against the powers of darkness. Now, it comes to us, it's derived from the Greek, and and we get that word professional from it, or shortened form, pro. And, And pro simply means to be in front of or superior to. So when you have a pro athlete, they are in front of 
the, us weekend warriors, and they're superior to us. And they are the champions that compete against one another. So this is the form of combat that we're called into. Um, I'm not taking time to set a theology of spiritual warfare before you. I'm just giving you some, some um, practical tools today, I hope, that will serve you in the days to come. Spiritual warfare, we look at this, is, is the advance of the kingdom of God throughout the earth so that God is glorified and people are set free. Does that sound good? It's true. Oh, by the way, this slide set is on the um, website, so you can download um, all of these pictures. Spiritual warfare is not an end in itself. We don't fight just to fight. There's a purpose for that fighting, and that purpose is for the will and the kingdom to come, just as Jesus said, right, in his prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the purpose for spiritual warfare. And it's intrinsic to, the, to this age, to this age of fallenness. We're not going to see this in the millennium. We're not going to see this in heaven, right? the new heaven, new earth. That's not going to be there. It is unique to this time period in, in salvation history. And the ultimate goal is to see people set free from darkness and saved to the glory of God. So wherever you go, long-term or short-term, you will encounter that, that there are regions in the world where the enemy has staked claim to that region and all the people who are there. He holds them in bondage. And you remember when Jesus talked about binding the strong man, you know, that you can't, you can't do anything to that strong man unless he's bound, unless one stronger than him comes and then you're able to loot his house at will. Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about him being the strong man who's able to bind the one who's stronger, who binds the strong man. And then we are able to take and loot his house, take the treasures of darkness out of his hand. And those treasures of darkness include many, many people who are lost in that darkness. So without understanding spiritual warfare, you're going to find that it may be difficult to get people to listen to you, to receive the gospel. People are going to be hostile. Their reactions may be difficult. Even with spiritual warfare, people can have these kinds of, of uh, mindsets and reactions. But wherever you go, understand the enemy hates God and he hates you. Don't be freaked out about this. It's just normal because that's the reality. And what we're going to do is we are going to look at some things to prepare you so that when you're out in the field or when you're walking down on your hometown street in your neighborhood, that you know what the weapons of your warfare are and, and that you can move with, um, with victory to overcome. Uh, there was a team that we sent out, I think it was to India, and, and from the very beginning that team just had nothing but trouble. They were supposed to take two hours, to, um, two days to travel there from the United States, and it took them nearly five days to get there. When they got there, three of the team members had lost their luggage. They couldn't find it anywhere. When they got to where they're supposed to be staying, they had no record of, of any reservation, and they said, we don't have room. You can't stay here. Um, over the course of the next few weeks, someone broke his arm. There were people who were sick. 
and um, they they couldn't sleep at night, and and all kinds of things that that just ruin an outreach, and. And in the midst of that, it took them about three, almost four weeks to figure out, maybe this is not natural. Maybe there's something spiritual going on. So when they're communicating and they're, they're talking to, to people back here, um, somebody says, maybe we should get me, <laughs> Reese, involved. And uh, turns out that that... Actually, there were a lot of openings that they had. So one of the leaders was actually actively in sin. His, he and his co-leader were at odds with each other, and there was no unity. Each one was vying for supremacy and position. And the other teammates were all taking sides, and they were whispering and all this... This was exacerbated by the spirits in that land. But once we, once we dealt with all these things and, and people came clean and confessed it, then we were able to release these curses that had been trailing them all over the place. And, and um, things got better. <laughs> they, they didn't have these kinds of accidents and sickness and all of this for the rest of their, their trip. Satan's primary objective is to prevent God from being glorified and keeping lost people from being saved. But his secondary objective is to make human beings and human society as miserable as possible in this life. Why is that? It's the Superman syndrome. You can't kill Superman, so who do you go after? You go after Lois Lane, right? The enemy can't touch God. And by the way, when it comes down to it, don't be dualistic in your view of, of warfare. It's not God against the devil. God has no shortage of power. If he wanted to, right now, he'd say one word and the devil is toast. And everything in his kingdom is undone. God has all the power. The question has never been about power. The question has always been about authority. And that's why the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness and said, if you'll bow down before me and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And that wasn't an empty temptation. That was actually something Satan could deliver because the keys to the earth had been handed over by Adam and Eve to the enemy. And so he had these keys. He had the right to rule because it had been abdicated by Adam and Eve. And Christ came as the second Adam to win back these keys. And when he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right, in Matthew 28... It's all been given to him. And we come and we have authority and it's delegated to us, much like the president commissions officers in the military. If you're a commissioned officer, you actually get a letter signed by the president commissioning you to carry out your rank and office and duties under his command. So we have been commissioned by the king of kings to go after the, the purposes and objectives of the king. Um, but Satan's ultimate goal, I think, is to prevent or at least delay the hour of his judgment. Just understand this. You've heard the saying, you know, when, when Satan tries to remind you of your past, you remind him as, of his future. He's going to lose. He's trying desperately. I think he thinks that 
it's going to work. Every scheme, though, doesn't. It falls apart. But he's desperate because for him it's existential. If what's waiting for you is the lake of fire, you would probably do everything you could to stop what God is doing. And he can't stop God, but he can try to stop us. And he can stop us because most Christians do not understand the authority that we have in Christ and we're not connected to the power that the name of Jesus carries. And that's all released by faith. So, I want to describe the three levels of spiritual warfare. The first is that there's a a personal ground level type thing. When I say ground level, I'm talking about the cannon fodder. I'm talking about all these troops that go around causing sickness and they whisper lies in your ear and all of this. These are not the big boys. These are just the privates and corporals. They're there to carry out the, the bidding of those who are higher than them, but they really do not carry substantial amounts of power. That's the, the main weapon the enemy uses against us is deception. And if he can deceive you into believing something is not true um, or is true and it's not, then he's got you. You know how they would train elephants for the circus? Elephants are very large, powerful animals. They train them when they're little. They get baby elephants and they chain their leg to something that's a huge concrete block that's buried in the earth. So when the elephant tries to pull up, the baby can't generate enough strength to do that. And so they have what is called learned helplessness. They just figured, okay, I can't do this. And when they become adults, you can take a, a stake and, you know, a large stake pounded into the ground, which a, a full-grown elephant can easily pull up, but they don't try because they've learned to be helpless. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants you to believe you're helpless. And if you believe his lies, you will be. So don't believe the lies. The, the personal or ground level is what you do in ministry. Ground level ministry. Um, praying for people to release them from bondage. Prayers of deliverance. Prayers of healing. Prayers of, of healing of spiritually. All of these kinds of things. This happens at the ground level. Every one of us can do that. It doesn't take anybody special to do that. All of us have been authorized by Jesus to do this. And everywhere you go... You should be asking the Lord, Father, what do you want me to do in this situation? Because there are things you can't do in the natural, but the Holy Spirit is able to do through you. Um, This level, if it's personal, if you're struggling, you're struggling with self-worth, you're struggling with, I'm not worthy, um, I'm not sure of my call, what am I doing here? Those kinds of questions are killer. They will kill you on the field. When you let room for doubt and fear in, it pushes out faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So so a lot of things we're going to focus on today will just be at this level because it's the foundational level. And I'm hoping that for some of you, if you may be struggling with some of these things, that it may provide some help for you. Then the next level up, and this is more difficult, it's harder to, to navigate and it's definitely got more power than the level below it is the occult. 
Witchcraft is real. I didn't used to believe that until I began to encounter witchcraft and curses. And I had no explanation for why this stuff was happening. And the Lord would show me. And, you know, like I said, I look for the things that work. And if I'm doing what the Lord's telling me and it works and that lifts, there's something to it. Amen. And above that is, is strategic level warfare. This is where you go and you hit the big boys, that the generals that are in the region. And they're the ones that control and rule over everything else that goes on. Don't come into this place until you're ready. I'm just telling you, you can get hit and backlashed by this because they control not themselves or maybe one or two others. They control everything in that region. So don't make trouble for yourself, really and truly. Don't go into temples. Don't go into mosques. I have had so many people that for whatever reason they go in there and after I tell them don't go, they go because, oh, the pastor that that is working with me told me to go into this mosque. And I remember uh, in Thailand, we had a team that went into a prayer cave that Buddhist monks had been using for hundreds of years. And people would, would stay in that place for their entire life praying and burning incense and doing all these things. And a pastor told this team that, that um, they were mostly students, right? This is the first time doing this. And they did not know what hit them. The entire team just got wiped out because they walked in there. Don't go into these places. And the reason why is if you go into a mosque or a temple, what's the first thing they make you do before you can go inside? You take your shoes off. Have you heard that expression somewhere in the Bible? Moses had to acknowledge that he was on holy ground because God told him, take your shoes off. If you take your shoes off, you are, without realizing it, acknowledging its sovereignty and right. And that puts you in a one-down position that's already opened a little doorway for the enemy to exploit things. So, I love you guys. Don't go there. If you, if you go there, um, you're going to need to find people that are going to help um, get stuff off of you. Just better be safe than sorry because you don't want to come up at that level. This is, I'm sorry, I should have blown up this picture. The, um, this is worldview. And, and so on, on the far left, we have all the things that happen to us in our experience, right? And it's filtered. It's filtered down more narrowly by our beliefs, by our experiences, our understanding, our fears, and it becomes our personal reality on this side. And again, the slides are in the, um, in the download. So let me give you an example of how this works. In John 12, verses 28 to 29, Jesus is praying to God the Father publicly, just out loud. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there um, 
and heard it said, it had thundered. And others said, an angel had spoken to him. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's very clear from the context, Jesus is praying to the Father and the Father is replying to him. Now all the people were there, saw and heard the same event. But you have some people who are interpreting this very naturally and saying, oh, it thundered. That's their explanation. They don't hear a voice. They don't hear the words. They just say, it thundered. And then you have other people saying, an angel spoke to him. Now, the second group, they realize something that the first group doesn't, that this wasn't just a natural phenomenon. It was supernatural. But they kind of missed it because they thought it was an angel rather than the father. Now, I give them a, a, you know, do-over on this one because up until then, uh, the only time anybody heard the father speaking out loud was at the baptism of Jesus. So, you know, it's, it's probably more likely you would think it's, it's an angel. But you can see the same thing. You can be in the same room with the same circumstances and there will be different interpretations of it. If you limit yourself to only the natural, what you can experience with your senses, and you try to explain things within that natural realm, you will probably miss things that are happening in the spirit. And there are clues that, that happen in the spirit that when we understand and know about it, then it actually points to the cause. If the cause is spiritual, just trying to do things in the natural is not going to be as effective. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I don't know if you can see this. Again, it's on the slides, but this is worldview. And here on the far left, we have um, the Western worldview. So we we believe that there's God and angels and faith and and, uh, miracles and the devil and demons, right? But we assign it to a spiritual realm that kind of um, is separate from the earth, Right? It's above. And, and so we don't, we don't actually access that. What we do access is the natural realm, which animals, our senses, the natural world, science and technology. And, and that's, that's how we kind of think of as the limitations of the world, especially non-Christians, although you do have uh, people with new age tendencies who, who say they're spiritual but they're not Christians, they're actually picking up on things in the spirit, but they're being deceived as to what it all means. The, um, this is where we get the sacred secular split. And there is for us as Westerners an excluded middle where we say these things don't exist. Witches don't exist. Curses don't exist. And we just, you know, disregard all of that. Whereas in the most of the nations who are not Western, you have what um, we have, the, the, the top part, God and angels and demons and all of this, and the bottom half, the natural world. But in between, you have things like ghosts and witches, sorcerers, witchcraft, magic, the evil eye, blessings, curses, amulets, you name it, all kinds of things. And they're there and they believe that because it protects people from evil. Or it's sometimes manipulated to cause curses against your enemies. And people come and, and access these things. They go to witch doctors. 
They go to shamans and they will pay good money to either be protected or to get even with someone else. So, so what you've got here on this side is that our Western mission is so preoccupied with theology, which is the top level, and technology at the bottom, the way the natural world works, but we don't actually have anything that describes the middle portion. And without the middle portion, what are you going to do when somebody comes to you and they're telling you that their child is sick because he's been cursed? And when you're trying to treat that child, you can't figure out what it is. And you're trying different things and and it doesn't seem to work. What do they do? Christians go to witch doctors. And they're trying to get that witch doctor to take that curse off their child. What we have then, we have a gospel that doesn't work for them. I, I just want to tell you, it's not that hard releasing curses off people. If you know how the Lord wants to do it, it's a fairly simple matter. We've got to have this, what I call the full service you know, missions experience. And, and that's why on this side, because we don't deal with the excluded middle, we're just trying to, to emphasize truth. The top part, the bottom part, it's all truth related. And, and that's how we argue. We don't argue for what the rest of the nations are looking for, and that is power. They don't care what your theology is. They want to see if your God has power. If your God doesn't have power, they, they don't care. And so it's, it's often, you see this all throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts, right? It's power encounters. Now, that's not the only way that God's going to reach people. But very often when the enemy comes up and he's opposing God, it's going to come down to a showdown. It's going to be a wrestling match. And if you don't win, <laughs> they're going to just say, yeah, their, their God isn't able. So it doesn't matter what the truth is. They don't actually regard that until they see that it's validated by the power. Does that make sense? Okay, so Ramsey McMillan, who is a emeritus professor of history at Yale University, he taught there from 67 to 93. Um, he's now the Dunham Professor of History and Classics. His, his scholarly interests were in the... Um, the social history of Rome and how Rome shifted from a pagan culture to become Christianized. And in his book, um, Christianizing the Roman Empire, A.D. 100 to 400, this is what he writes. It was not the church's liturgy, I'm sorry, here it goes. It was not the church's liturgy or morals or monotheism or internal organization that seemed to non-Christians much different than other people. The one point of difference that seemed most salient was the antagonism inherent in Christianity. Antagonism of God against all supernatural powers. It was the manhandling of demons, humiliating them, making them howl, beg for mercy, held their secrets and making them depart in a hurry that served a purpose quite essential to a Christian definition of a supreme God monotheism. 
It made physically and dramatically visible the superiority of the Christian's patron power, namely Jesus Christ, over all others. Non-Christians were won over to the church through miraculous demonstrations, head-on challenges of non-Christians to a test of power, head-on confrontations with supernatural beings inferior to God, and a contemptuous dismissal of merely rational paths towards the true knowledge of the divine. I love this statement. This is how the church thrived through ten periods of great persecution before Constantine. It was because the church cast out demons. And they knew that. And the, the church knew that. They knew they had power. Um, in, in 1 John 3, 8, um, we, we find this in the second part of the verse. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Now, here in John twenty twenty one, he says this to his disciples. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's our commission. That's not just for the disciples that were alive when Jesus was there. That's our commission also. That's what spiritual warfare is in its essence, destroying the works of the devil. So I I want to talk about strongholds here. And strongholds are things that you're going to be dealing with, and some of you are dealing with these things right now. Strongholds will affect your identity, your calling, or your competence, or confidence in in your competence. And by the way, we all know our competence doesn't come because we're so great, right? It's because Christ is in us. So in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Okay, all these weapons are the pull-down strongholds. What are the strongholds? Everybody thinks, oh, they must be, you know, these temples and, and these, these places of darkness in the, in the world. Here's what the strongholds are, and Paul describes it right here in verse 5. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And some, it can be uh, translated speculations. You know, you've just got these ideas that bear no correspondence with reality. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Strongholds are actually thoughts that we have in our mind that somehow have created a high place, a place that's fortified and is able to to keep you from moving. When the military reinforces or builds a stronghold, it is to not to deny their enemy access. They can't go use that area. They can't go through that area. So here's how it works. Strongholds are located in the mind. Look, do you remember the church at Laodicea in, um, in Revelation 3? What did they say about themselves? That they were rich. That they were prosperous. 
that they were self-sufficient. They had no need of anything. You remember what Jesus said about them? <laughs> it's, wow. I, I look at that and I'm thinking, how can they be the same? He said that they were poor and wretched and naked and blind and miserable. Five words. And I'm thinking, goodness, somebody's wrong. And I don't think it's the Lord. They saw themselves in one way. But the reality was something very, very different. Paul explains this a little bit more in Romans 6, I mean 8 rather, verses 6 and 7. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God and does not subject itself to the law of God, is not even able to do so. If you're natural minded, if you're fleshly minded, carnal minded, that is, that your explanation and your worldview is only looking at the things that seem to be around you. And you're not recognizing that there is a supernatural realm, that God is near, that you're in His presence, and every decision that you make, every dialogue, He's privy to. He's right there and He wants to be in the middle of this. You're going to miss some things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says... Um, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul's saying, look, I don't even judge myself. Right now, I'm not aware that there's anything there. But I don't figure that I'm safe if I don't see anything when I look. I invite the Lord to judge me. And that, that's the echo of, of Psalm 139, right? The, the last two verses. Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We've got to learn to see things from the realm of the Spirit. We've got to invite God to search us and know us. Trust me, he knows far more about us than, than, we, than we do about ourselves. And not only his words accurate, but the way that he shows us is so kind. And if you're, if, if by you, from your experience, you've, you've been criticized and, and just had people come on you uh, with that kind of attitude, just know that God loves you. And he is so gentle. He is so kind in the way he does it. And um, for me, sometimes, I mean, it doesn't take much. He never gets angry, but there are some times that it's very sharp. And I know, I mean, he's rebuking me also. But I've come to the point in my life where I, I'm not afraid of him. So if he rebukes me, I go, oh, wow, and I just get right on that. Strongholds are often made up of good thoughts. Now, look, that's the characteristic of a stronghold that makes it easy to slip under the radar. Satan uses this as our thoughts to create blockages from us being able to hear God's thoughts. You look at this case in point. In Matthew 16, um, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter comes out with the confession of all confessions, right? He's got gold star, you know, on his, on his test. And Jesus is so pleased. And, and he's, he's commending Peter. And the next thing he says to Peter after this um, after a little bit more dialogue is get behind me, Satan. Right? 
What happened? He just Jesus just said, oh, son of man, he's going to suffer and die, and you know, then he's going to be um, on the third day. And Peter, all he says is, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter loved Jesus. And according to the wisdom of this world, he's do, saying the right thing. The Messiah is not supposed to die. In fact, they didn't realize that the Messiah that would be the suffering one and the reigning one were one and the same person. They actually, Jewish, the, Jewish theologians thought that there would be two that would be coming. Um, Messiah ben David, ben David, who would be the reigning one, and Messiah ben Joseph, who would be a suffering Messiah. And they couldn't figure out how that that worked together. It was describing one and the same person, just two different times. And, and so Peter, he's speaking out of love. He's speaking a good thing that you want to say to people whom you love. You don't want them to suffer and die, especially the way Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Because he recognizes that that sentiment, that word that Peter spoke, is not in concert with the Father's heart and will. And that he's expressing the desires of man, not of God. So Peter comes up short in this. Jesus is able to see through that wall of speculation what Peter thought Messiah should look like as versus the Father's purpose for Jesus. And so what we see from this is the enemy of the best is not the worst. If you have really bad thoughts, you're on guard against them. But when you have really good thoughts, they can slip by because we can't differentiate the good from God's best. We've only eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? We don't know God's ways are far above ours and his thoughts than our thoughts. So we kind of assume that if it's a good thought, it must be that's what God wants us to do. And then we make plans to do it and we just finish up by praying, God bless these plans. It, it could work, but I've seen enough failures. Uh, that's why Paul says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the good thoughts, as well as the bad thoughts, every thought should be brought into captivity to obey Christ. Strongholds will often develop in the shadow of our strengths. Look, whatever you're good at, you will assume that that's an impregnable position. I'm really good at this. Your weaknesses, you will make allowances for. Your weaknesses, you will make sure that, that you're guarding that. But where you're strong, you don't do that. I mean, I graduate from seminary, and I, I, got, um, I graduate with honors. I got A's in almost everything. And uh, honestly, you know, studying comes easy to me. I'm Chinese, so, you know. <laughs> and so, so I, I thought I knew. I thought I was hot stuff, honestly. Pride goes before a fall, right? And and so when I when I got into um, my first church and and a subsequent church, I just thought I know, I know what to do. The, the second church I took was massive spiritual warfare that I did not see coming. I was never taught these things. And the, the pastor who was there for almost 20 years before me, he was new age. 
So it was all about this weird stuff. And I didn't realize. I thought, oh, demons don't hang out in the church. Now, how stupid can you be? Right? Please don't judge me. <laughs> so, so here, we often mistake the things that we're good at for being impregnable and, and we're not going to have a problem with it. But that's often where the enemy likes to work because we're overconfident. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So you're going to need to do that. Wherever you are right now, whatever plans you have for the future, when you graduate, when you go on this mission trip or whatever it is, check in with the Lord. Ask him, what, what have you got in mind for me? I find that, that it's so easy for everyone, me included, to be thinking ahead and saying, okay, I'm going to be in such and such a city. I'll just look up all the, the um, hotels or places that I can stay and figure out what's what's affordable, and oh yeah, it's right here, and we'll lay this out logically. I'll go here first, and then there. We're not being guided by the Holy Spirit. We can get ourselves in a lot of trouble doing that. So, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then strongholds are often activated by painful trauma. And that painful trauma is often in the place of our calling or our gifts. So I know a man who who actually has quite a bit of money, and as a believer, he's actually called by God to give, to be generous. Well, he got um, swindled by Christians that that had some kind of plan. What I don't need to get into it, but it left him short, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he found it was very difficult to ever trust Christians who are asking for money again. And so this gift that he had of giving, of being generous, was just kind of cut short because the enemy just saw what his gifting was. He didn't want him using it for the kingdom. And just by the wounds that he received, just cut that short. Um, You just be careful. The enemy often used pain. If you have pain and trauma in your life, and it could be trauma because of things that you have seen happen to you bad or things that didn't happen that were supposed to be good, right? There's two different types of trauma, type A, type B. Um, It's okay. But God wants to heal that. And then strongholds create a double mind that results in spiritual and emotional instability. If you're double-minded and you get on the field and you're saying, well, I know that God heals, but... He, he didn't heal the last three times I prayed for people, right? I, how confident are you going to be to pray for the next person? Now, I just want you to know, I pray for people's healing. Does everybody get healed? No. I wish they did. Um, but they don't. And I can't explain it. But I know that God loves people. And the very least that I can do when, when people come and they're, they're needing prayer and they want God to touch them and and give them hope is to pray for them. And I don't know how it works. I just know that that if I have opportunity to do good, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to trust God. So here we've got um, this weapons of our warfare. I'm going to go through this real quickly. Um, so, so the first thing is the name of the Lord. 
in Luke 10, uh, Jesus is sending out the 70 and they return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Now this is what Jesus promised to his disciples. And it doesn't mean that none of them died because most of them were martyred. Even John, they, they tried boiling him in oil and it didn't work. That's not necessarily what it means that you're not going to have any bad thing ever happen to you. That's one of the, the lies that the enemy puts in our mind. So when something bad happens, we think, God, where were you? And we start questioning him. Um, the, the serpents and scorpions, this is actually in Jewish theology, the, um, the, the serpents or snakes were, were demons that afflicted and tormented your soul. And, and the, the uh, scorpions are evil spirits that cause you bodily suffering. And Jesus is saying, I've given you authority over all the things that torment your soul, your emotions, your mind. And I'm giving you authority over all the things that come and can afflict a person with suffering in their body. Now, again, um, I, I go to doctors, uh, you know, got, all, all truth is God's truth. And so, well, I'm not saying that you've got to pick one or the other. I'm saying that there are times when the Lord wants to break in and say, Yoo-hoo, here I am. And every eye is fixed on him. It's not upon us. Anytime you are there in the background and you want some glory for yourself, to spill off on yourself, to just be associated with that, you're in danger. Because God's not going to share his glory with you or me or anyone. He alone deserves that glory. So just be very careful in how, what your motives look like. The, um, the blood of the lamb... Um, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Um, I, I know a missionary couple that, that rented a house. And that house, uh, and they had two young kids too. <laughs> it's just awful. That house literally just would be moaning at night. There would be blood on the walls. There would be screams in the night. The kids could not sleep. The parents couldn't sleep, and they, they had rented this thing for a year. And it was just horrible. What did they do? Just told them. Hey, it's very simple. Go use the blood of the lamb. Go through that house. Apply the blood. Take communion. Command those things to leave. Just break those curses. They were broken. Now, the blood of the lamb is powerful, guys. You know those old hymns that a lot of you young guys don't sing, you know, where there's power in the blood, right? I always think of some lady who's really sharp when, when they do that because, yeah. Anyway, and then there's agreement, the power of agreement, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say to you, if any two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That's one of the things I love about prayer. I love just being in agreement with other people. He said whenever two or three are gathered... And I find that, that it just multiplies. It's exponential in its effect and power. But the most important agreement you're going to have is with the Father. 
if you're saying what the Father's saying, then God's going to hear that prayer. Um, and, and, you know, Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When we're together, God commands the blessing. Word of God, Jesus rebuked the devil in the wilderness. What did he use? The word of God. The word of God is very powerful. And by the way, you know the devil knows it better than you or I do. I mean, he must have a photographic memory because I don't think he studies it. He knows it. And he will often come up to us. And if he can't get us any other way, he will use scripture, but it will be off. I remember one time I was, I was praying in, in my sanctuary before the church service, um, a couple hours before, and... Um, I heard the Lord telling me that what you heard um, that you're doing, and I, I was praying about something and moving towards something that I thought the Lord had told me to do. He said, that wasn't me. Now, you want to be confused, just hear that. And I thought, well, how do I know that you're not false and that I heard right the first time? You know, and you're just I, my whole world was upended. And what that was was that I had heard the first time the enemy speaking something that sounded very scriptural but really didn't reflect his heart. And I learned um, that was an invitation that God allowed me to experience so that I could know not just his word because I knew his word, but I did not know his ways. If you know his, his, his word, you can read about um, Obama or Trump. Or, you know, you think you know them, but they won't invite you to have a beer and, and barbecue with them, right? Knowing his ways involves personal relationship. Don't divorce scripture from the heart of the Father. And the Holy Spirit will make his word real to us, and he'll go deeper with that revelation. Um, then the armor of God. It's, um, lo- these are some things. You know, these are the first four um, articles of armor, and they they protect us against things like lies about the character of God, deception about who I am, error as to the way I'm going. Um, believing accusations from Satan, feeling condemned, puffed up with pride, uh, spiritual pride, attacked by persecution or lies, compromising the word of God, being passive and asleep, hit by flaming arrows of doubt, uh, fear, unbelief. These are the things that the, the armor of God protect us for. The last two pieces, the helmet and the sword, can protect us against trouble with our thoughts of guilt, condemnation, Self-hatred or hatred of others, operating in the flesh and not the spirit, remaining in darkness, having an unrenewed mind, whispering words such as, has God said? Uh, Distorting the word of God, listening to doctrines of demons. This is what the armor of God protects us from, and this is not a comprehensive list. But all of these things are activated by prayer, praying in the spirit. And then finally, um, I've got the word of our testimony. This is not a comprehensive list either. I apologize for that. I just don't have the time to go through it all. One last thing I want to say, if I can just have one, one or two extra minutes, because I think you'll find this very helpful. Um, spiritual warfare, 
you've got to know your authority. Do we have three different kinds of authority, positional, imparted, and virtue-based? And I can only talk about the, the last, the first one. Positional authority. Every believer has it. You have it. I have it. Without exception. We all have positional authority. What is positional authority? It's authority that God has given to us as a child of God that extends to our domain. Extends to the things that affect us and concern us. So, um, I just write down Ephesians 2.6 and Ephesians 1.18-22. I'm not going to read these for time's sake. And um, in Matthew 28.18. So, let me tell you about positional authority. When I would come to conferences, pastors' conferences, one of the things I always found that was most difficult was that I always struggled with a spirit of lust. In fact... It, it was, um, they did surveys with the hotel and hospitality industry and they found out that the biggest consumers of por- pornography cable was um, pastors co- going to conferences. And I know I experienced that and I didn't always succeed. And I'm thinking, wow, this is so awful. On one hand, I'm being in the presence of God and I'm learning. On the other hand, I'm struggling with this stuff and I didn't understand how to get free from this. And I had a friend that he, he graduated from the, his university and he bought some season tickets, got a box, um, seats, and he and his friends would be there uh, to watch the game. And the first game of the season, he's there and the guys in the next box were drinking and swearing and hurling profanities at the team that was on the field, their opponents. And that grieved my friend. You know, they were all Christians. He was a pastor. And, and you know, whatever they tried to say didn't work. And so he was afterwards complaining to the Lord about this and saying, God, why did you let us get a box next to these guys? This is not the atmosphere that we want to go see the games in. And the Lord said to him, why don't you do something about it? Reminds you of the little boy, you know, that had the um, fish and the loaves. You know, Jesus said, why don't you feed them? <laughs> or, or Moses <laughs> at the Red Sea. And so my friend said, Whoa, what do you mean? I, how, what am I supposed to do about it? Well, the Lord began to take him into this little journey and told him, you bought those tickets and you rented that box. And as long as you are occupying that box, you have authority for that box and the atmosphere surrounding it. And my friend said, really? So, being the good scientist that he is, he said, let me see if this actually works. Next game, sure enough, there they are, drinking, swearing. And for the first half, they're doing that. At halftime, he gathers his friends in the box and he says, look, I think this is what the Lord wants to do. Let's bind this stuff. Let's forbid this thing from happening because this is our box. We paid for it. It belongs to us and we're inviting Jesus into this box. So they bound whatever that, that thing was over that other um, section. And the second half of the game, it was as though they weren't there. That was crazy. And my friend told me about it. And, and then the next time he went, he tried it again, this time from the beginning, and not a peep, even though they had beer with them. It's crazy. 
So I thought, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. I mean, I rented a hotel room. I'm going to try that. So the next conference I go to, I go into the hotel room and say, you I'm here. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And you guys that are here, because other people have welcomed you in here, I don't. And because I have positional authority in Christ, I am commanding all you guys to get out. And you cannot come back in until after I'm done. And guess what? I wasn't tempted or struggled the entire trip. You can do that. You have that authority. All you've got to do is know that you have it. Have faith that God's going to back that up because you're in Christ. And then just be bold to proclaim. My time is up. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I wish we had time for questions. But I will be up here if, if any of you have any questions. Let me just pray quickly for you. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. God, I thank you for their heart to go to the nations. Lord, to, to do the things that are in the heart of the Father so that Jesus might be glorified. Lord, I ask that you would just bring to their minds, God, whatever things that, that you want them to learn from this time together, and that, God, that they would be able to put it into practice and grow and in authority and in power so that Jesus might receive all the glory and honor. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much. God bless you.